about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Now the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard, and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. And say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, After the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, friends. It is good to be with you. Uh, It wasn't supposed to be me preaching tonight. Phil Walker Harding, who is the pastor at Cottage Church, was preaching tonight, but he tested positive yesterday. So add that to the list of things that COVID has robbed you of. An amazing sermon by Phil Walker Harding. So this is my kind of limited prep version of the same thing. So just go with it and see what the Lord has to say in this amazing passage for us today. What we've been doing is looking at the book of Luke, and we've done that on the back of looking at Elijah. In the last three weeks, we've looked at how Elijah and Jesus relate to each other and how they're the same, same, and different. Um, We're kind of leaving that behind now, and just eyes toward Easter in all kinds of ways. And so we're going to start with this passage and then move on through the passion narrative from now on, and kind of Elijah will fall by the wayside. 
Now, I found this really interesting article. I don't know if it's interesting. That might be the wrong word. Morbid, maybe, article a while ago about the last meals people have on death row in America. Someone apparently had studied this quite thoroughly. There's all kinds of things. Here are some of the meals. They had photographs of the meals. I don't understand. Such an interesting thing, though, this fascination with it, because someone's last meal, what they want, tells you something, doesn't it? The strawberries and the fried chicken, something. You know, when someone is awaiting their final death, out of their hands, the end of life, and they know it, their final meal shows you a little bit about who they are. Now, this is maybe a little bit full on, but I just wanted to push on the gravity of what is happening in this text. Jesus is on death row. Jesus is about to be executed the next day. And what we see in this passage is the Last Supper, his last meal. And with it, we see his heart and what his death means to him and what it is all really about. So let's track through the passage, and I just want us to have a, pay close attention and see what is Jesus framing his death to be for us to walk through in the days ahead as we journey to Easter. I've got four things for you this evening. First one is this. An evil conspiracy emerges, but Jesus has his own plans. That's how this text starts. It starts with this evil conspiracy. We read in 22 verse 1 on your handouts, Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. Now let's just pause on that for a second because when you think of festival, you need to think New Year's Eve or Anzac Day. The kind of events where everyone flocks into the city. Because that's what this was. Everyone flocked into Jerusalem and there were throngs of people everywhere vying for space, all celebrating what God had done together. That's why, in the middle of the festival, the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for somewhere to get rid of Jesus, but they were afraid of the people. Think about it for a second. Jesus is a revolutionary in throngs of people. He could ignite the crowd at any moment and take control of the whole city. He know, they know that he could turn the whole crowd against them. So this is precarious atmosphere, politically, to be a part of. And so they need a way to get rid of Jesus, but they need to do it quietly. Then, Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Now this is an evil conspiracy. Some leaders need a way to kill Jesus quickly and quietly and they can't find one. And so the Satan himself makes a play and pushes Judas into the equation, and Judas joins the conspiracy with them and agrees to find a quiet place to arrest Jesus and get rid of him. 
This is pure political evil. And the mention of Satan just shows that it's not just a human conspiracy, but an angelic, a spiritual one. This is evil. This is how Jesus' life ends, with this circle of people. It's awful stuff. And this is the way the passion narrative starts. And you start thinking, well, this, is this the reality that defines Jesus' death? As you get pulled in the undertow of this evil circle of betrayal. But while this conspiracy and plan is happening, Jesus has already hatched another. In verse 7 it says, Then there came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Peter and John come to Jesus and go, Where do you want to have the Passover? Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked. This is where it's really, this is funny stuff. Jesus says, Go into the city, right? And there'll be this guy carrying some water. Okay? Follow him and come up to him and say these magic words to him. The teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he showed them it and they make the preparations. Now, it's a bit odd what happens here. And there's two ways of reading it, right? On the one hand, Jesus just miraculously makes a man appear with a a thing of water and it's just all kind of, it's a miracle. Jesus aligns it, it happens. But equally likely is that Jesus had already planned this. He'd already prepped the room with the guy, with the water. And he had done so in secret from all of his disciples. Why? Because Judas was looking for a time to betray him. And Jesus doesn't want that to happen for this meal, and so he does it in secret and doesn't tell them, oh no, we're going to the the one on top of, you know, the Jewish restaurant. He says, you'll find it this way and that. You see, there's this evil conspiracy being planned, but Jesus has his own plans. It's a beautiful marker at the beginning of this narrative that Jesus is not just being thrown about by these evil powers. His death is not just his surrender to the currents happening around him. There is real evil, and there are his real plans, and they're all unfolding together. This is actually a very helpful biblical picture of how evil works. The Satan, evil leaders, a betraying disciple, all of them doing really real things. But Jesus also, in the midst of it, is doing his plans. This is the complex picture of evil we get in the Bible, of all these agencies working alongside each other at the same time. Jesus is working out his purposes as the evil conspiracy unfolds. Jesus has his own plan. Well, what is Jesus doing here? Well, Jesus deeply desires to dine with his disciples, which is the best alliteration I could come up with. Check this out. Did you miss this? This is one of my favorite parts of the whole passage. And Luke moves it in the order of things to make it stand out. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table in the upper room. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you 
before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Why the secret plan from Jesus? His deepest desire on his final night was to eat with his disciples and his friends. He just really, deeply, truly, madly wanted to be with them. It's a wonderful window into his own heart. Jesus has a passion for people. These are his people and he wants to be with them. Simply on the one hand because it is his final meal with them. His last moment with them. And he's longed for it to come before it all goes so badly. But notice how also alongside that he won't eat again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Jesus won't eat the Passover again, ever, because it's about to be wholly shifted. There'll be another time to eat, but it won't be the Passover, it will be in the kingdom of God. This is a little window into what Jesus' death is bringing about. This meal with his disciples is the last Passover. Because after it, and finally, he'll bring about the big feast of God. This is what Jesus wants. This is what he desires. You know, the Passover was a thing the Jews did to remember a time when God brought them out from Egypt, from out of slavery, and made them into his own people for himself. God desired a people to have as his own. And Jesus says on this Passover night, remembering that, that he is about to fulfill that. His death will bring people out, the people that God desires, and make them his forever. Isn't it incredible to think that Jesus, his deep desire is to have you at his table? to be surrounded by his people. This is what Jesus walks to the cross to gain. And it's a good reminder to us about our tables. That this God, this Jesus who, who gathers those to himself also wants us to be people who are passionate about people, who desire others as he desires others, who open their table even to the Judases of the world, to the unlikely. Jesus, all through Luke, has dinner parties with the dishonorable and the despicable and the de despised. And as we see this beating heart of divine desire, we are summoned to the same thing. Those who Jesus desires to be with him turn outward in the same way. But there's more that Jesus wants to say about this fulfillment of the Passover that he's bringing about. This great feast, this gathering around God's table. Jesus wants his disciples and Jesus wants us to know that in his death, he gives himself for us. Now, 
in, in the Jewish Passover, there were a number of feasts and courses. And there was wine and there was bread. But it's not a loaf of bread. It's this stuff. It's matzah. It's very flat. It's like a seo, but just a, like a little more crunchy and a bit bigger. Okay? And, and at different points, you'd break the bread and remember fleeing Egypt with this nasty bread in tow. And there'd be multiple times when the cup would be passed around and you'd kind of cheers the promises of God each time and a different promise of God each time. And so Jesus, as he takes up the bread and as he takes up the wine, he's taking these symbols and he's reinterpreting them around himself. And so his disciples hearing this and hearing what he says, they know the script and they know how Jesus is massively deviating from it. He took the bread and gave thanks and he broke it. It's crispy, remember? It snaps. It's visceral. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Can you imagine being in the room and seeing it snap and then him saying, this is me being broken. But look at the wonderful way he says it. It's given for you. It's not taken from him, his body. It is given. It is offered. It's handed over for you. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. This is beautiful stuff. Jesus is walking the disciples through what is about to happen. He is not letting the leaders in the conspiracy dictate what his death is for and what it is about. He is very clear, very determined, very emphatic. He pours out his life for you. It is a costly offering of love. This idea of a, a new covenant in blood speaks of the new exodus that Jesus is bringing about, the final Passover. In Jeremiah, the great prophet says, the days are coming when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It won't be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and write it on their minds. I will be their God and they will be my people. Jesus is claiming that his body and his blood poured out, broken, make us gods, remake us from the inside out, lay claim to us in a way the old covenant never did. Jeremiah goes to speak on how this is based on forgiveness of sin that completely undoes us. 
God led his people out of Egypt, but God takes us out from under the slavery of sin and death that's inside our very hearts into the freedom of being his children forever. He poured out himself for you. And Jesus says this is to be remembered. Before the Passover, they were told the same thing. Remember. Even before it had happened, you've got to remember this. It wasn't just a call it back into your mind. It was, this is now the basis of your entire existence. The reason you are our people is because of the day when he led you out of Egypt. Remembering this fact is not remembering something that happened in history. Remembering this is remembering who you really are. You are the one who his body was broken for. You are the one who his blood was poured out for. You belong to him. He wants you at his table. Remember. You see, at the end of the day, what this passage shows us, that though there is real evil in Jesus' death, Jesus willingly offers himself to it. You know, as you, you get to the climax of this beautiful moment and Jesus has described what is about to happen in vivid, visceral terms, everything goes back to the dark vision it was before. Verse 21, But the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. What is about to happen is a personal, deeply relational, deeply evil betrayal from two who it should not come. Jesus is strong. Woe to the man who betrays Jesus, the Son of Man. Just because something incredible is about to happen, Judas is not let off. It is real evil. The conspiracy against Jesus is awful. But what is happening in and through that, what does it say? The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. Or earlier in the passage, you notice, verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Exactly the same phrase that Jesus uses about his own death. It is necessary that I go and die earlier all the way through Luke. What is happening is something really evil, but it is the thing decreed. Evil is not winning in this. The decree and plans and purposes of God are. This is the day where Jesus is in his full agency, in control of himself, with complete freedom, handing himself over and winning us. You see, Jesus is not a Passover lamb. Lambs don't know what's coming. They don't know what's about to happen to them as they're slaughtered and as the blood is 
foot on the doorframe. They're unwitting. They're passive. Jesus is no lamb. He willingly, actively, resolutely, from the very depths of evil, spiritual and human, rests us out as his own. Here we have a vivid picture of what we can have confidence in. Jesus is not another person sitting on death row having their final meal. Jesus is sitting on death row about to rest us from the gates of hell by offering himself. Friends, have you handed yourself over to him? Are his body and his blood your hope, your strength, your rest? You know, every time we do the Lord's Supper, we reenact this scene. We'll do it next week. We reenact this scene to obey our Lord when he says, Remember. And every time we come and we eat the bread and the wine, as we take it inside us, we are letting his promises remake us. We are trusting again and again and again what he has done in the face of our own sin and evil and judgment. Friend, he died for you. Feed on him in your heart. Remember his sacrifice until it is the basis of your very existence. Because your evil was not enough for his love and power and freedom. You are now his. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.